the Digiday Podcast. I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. For this week's episode, you spoke with Warren Webster, who is the CEO of Atlas Obscura, which is a travel media company. Seems like a pretty interesting time to be talking to anyone in the travel industry. Yeah, so Atlas Obscura, I think, has a really cool business model. They're like half the time a media publisher um, with content around exploration, travel, gastronomy, those those topics. But they also run a like travel tourism uh, company, and that's about the other 50% of their business. So there were a lot of implications that the pandemic had on their business model, obviously. But as this ability to travel is coming back into the fold to a degree, um, their business has been kind of moving back to not what it was in 2019, but he was saying like it's taking a nuanced approach to the way it's kind of returning to travel. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of still like variables in play when it comes to, you know, moving around outside of your your town or or your city, but it's seeming optimistic from from the conversation we had. Yeah, did he get into like what if any impact he's already seen the Delta variant have on their business? Yeah, so the Delta variant and all the other variants that are coming out, um they are impacting the return to travel. It's obviously not like a hundred percent return. There's still a lot of precautions that need to be taken um, from the tourism side of the business, but also like, you know, the partners that they work with and the content that they're covering, it's it's not a full return to say like in-person activations that are branded or working with some, uh, I'm sure advertisers that they worked with in 2019 might not be as gung-ho yet to spend again. So there are some implications. It's a slow return, but he also just seemed kind of optimistic about it. So he has some interesting thoughts there for sure. Good to be able to be optimistic after 2020, so I won't hold that against anyone. Kaylee, I'll let you take it away. Great. Thanks, Tim. Warren, thank you so much for joining us on the Digiday podcast today. Hi, Kaylee. Great to be here. So I always like uh, talking about Atlas Obscura and your uh, business model. It's just a, I don't know, fun kind of brand, in my opinion. Um, But you're also a very travel-centric brand. So you have a kind of a lot of focus, both in your coverage and in um, your brand partners in the travel world. Um, And because of that, I wanted to chat with you because obviously travel was one of the industries that got pretty severely impacted during the pandemic. Um, It was no surprise people weren't going anywhere because they were staying home during lockdown. And I'm curious about how that impacted both Atlas Obscura's, you know, content output and business model, but then also, you know, looking at your brand partners and and who you tend to have, you know, in your advertising, um, in your advertising world. I'm I'm just curious about how that's also been impacted and and when that started coming back. Um, I think that that is, you know, a really big category. And I'm just curious about, you know, your up close kind of involvement in in that world and, and their spend. So I guess to like kick it off, um, I'm just curious about how much of an impact um, the pandemic had on your business from the fact that you're a publisher tied to travel to a, a pretty significant degree. Um, you know, what changes, I guess, did you have to take initially in those early months? 
Well, wow, it's been uh, yeah quite a year, obviously. And you're right, the travel industry has just been completely turned upside down. Um, thinking back to March 2020, I don't think any of us could have imagined uh, sort of how the how the arc would be in terms of travel shutting down, coming back for a bit. Uh, then now, obviously, we're looking at different Delta variants and things that are changing things. But one important thing to note, I think, about Atlas Obscura is that we are in the travel business. However, we're really about exploration, and exploration can happen anywhere. Uh, you can travel halfway around the world, or you could explore in your backyard or uh, take a road trip. And I think that really helped us, uh, just in our case, because going back to March 2020, obviously our far-flung trips all had to come back, and we we pulled all our travelers back uh, to the U.S. as quickly as possible. We closed our essentially closed our trips business um, for the time being. And we really started focusing on uh, what can we do uh, to satisfy the curiosity of our of our our readers, our community, uh, while they're stuck at home, just like we are. Um, so we we launched an initiative called uh, Wonder From Home, sort of a play on work from home, uh, and uh, really tried to come up with things that would um, – be inspiring and exciting and, and let people dream a bit while they're, while they're stuck on their, on their sofa or, or, uh, or not able to, to go much farther than to work or to, um, school. So, uh, that, that really actually kind of got us through that period. Um, partly because we're a media company, plus we're a trip operator and an experience company. Um, so while we couldn't operate the trips, we, we still had uh, a lot to do with our media business and ended up having, Actually, in some ways, uh, the most successful year we've ever had, although I hate to call a pandemic year a success exactly, we had record-breaking traffic, uh, we had record-breaking revenue from brand partners, um, and uh, and it brought us into 2021 in a really solid spot. Um, so now we're kind of like, all right, uh, looking ahead, how do we think about the travel world going forward and how do we live our mission and, and share our mission of inspiring wonder and curiosity about the world uh, in new ways, given that the world has changed quite a bit. Um, and the idea of returning to normal, quote unquote normal, uh, like 2019, uh, it, it, it's not, we don't believe that it's ever going to be quite exactly like it was before. And in some ways it might actually be mm -hmm. better. So we're that's what we're working on now. Yeah. So I guess how large a portion was the trips business prior, I guess, when you were looking at 2019 um, as the last, again, quote unquote, normal year, um, how significant was your trips business to the overall, um, like, I guess, revenue? Yeah, well, uh, it, it was about 50% uh, before the pandemic. And, you know, Atlas Obscura was founded uh, a little over 12 years ago, um, mainly as a content company. It was a it was a crowdsourced database of the world's most interesting, fascinating, off the beaten path, hidden wonders. Um, and that grew to a point where we added a layer of journalism on it. So it was very much a media company to start. Um, and then the trips business and the experiences business is a little bit newer. Um, so we were, we're very optimistic that the fact that it was 50% of our, our business prior to the pandemic, um, you know, uh, going forward, we're, we're, we're investing heavily in, in, uh, bringing that back and, um, and expect that, that, uh, that ratio to be similar in, uh, this year, next year. Have you started doing trips again, or is it still in like the kind of figuring out what makes sense, um, for that business in this 
current context? We have started doing trips again, not quite at the pace that we were at, obviously, quite yet. But we uh, we started ramping up our trip planning early in 2021 and um, had a couple trips go out throughout the year. And then just recently, we had one of our uh, signature trips to Portugal uh, uh, went out very successfully, and, and that was great. Um, and we have a bunch more coming up. And I think this fall and winter, uh, we expect a lot of um, depart. We have a lot of departures planned for both domestic and international trips. Interestingly, you know, we we have a lot of interest. Uh, there, the demand is back uh, for sure, and mm-hmm. our community is um, is getting in touch with us and and booking trips. Uh, at a higher rate than we've actually ever seen before, uh, even pre-pandemic. Um, a lot of it, however, is in 2022. So people are planning ahead, not quite sure yet about, about this year, but uh, we do have a lot of departures this year. But 2022 is really shaping up to be the year that people take these sort of bucket list trips, go find that that place that they've always wanted to go and that, uh, that hopefully they were inspired to go to uh, on Atlas Obscura. Well, it makes sense. I mean, I know... Part of my coping mechanisms for being locked indoors is thinking about what my first trip would be after lockdown kind of ceased or after I got vaccinated. Um, So I definitely understand why there's this kind of like surge of interest. Um, I guess like talking about like the context of COVID around that. So obviously Delta is kind of a resurging lockdown situation for some areas. although other like other borders are being open. So it's kind of like this weird world where like it seems like the vaccinated can almost return to normal where some areas maybe it's very unwise to do so. How are you kind of considering Delta in the trips business? Um, And also, do you require like proof of vaccination for people taking the trips? Like, are you looking at things that are mostly outdoors to, you know, help with you know, some of those safety concerns there. Just curious about like the like in-person considerations you'd have to take as a, you know, publisher that's that's putting these businesses, you know, together. Yeah. So we uh, we basically follow the guidelines of the destinations that we're going to, and they vary depending on where it is. One country might have one set of guidelines and another might not. And then uh, obviously domestically, uh, there's different rules and regulations. So um, we just err on the side of caution generally. Um, And if something just feels uh, unsafe, you know, the last thing we'll do is put any of our, our guests or our staff in harm's way. So, so that's, that's our rule mainly. Um, And in a lot of cases, that does mean proof of vaccination. And um, I think what we're finding is probably what you're finding and what everyone else is finding is that information changes every single day uh, when it comes to things like Delta variant and uh, and these outbreaks. I, I do agree with you just personally. I think it, it's unlikely that we're going back to a complete lockdown or complete shutdown of travel situation. Uh, it feels a lot more targeted than that, where there will be areas where vaccinations might not have uh, reached a critical mass yet, um, and and you'll start to we'll start to see more infections in those places. Obviously, I'm not an epidemiologist, but uh, I think we're all amateur <laughs> epidemiologists these days, um, and and we're just watching it just like everybody else. And and uh, what we're seeing is that um, you know it's much more uh, targeted and uh, not so much the mass shutdown. Now there are some interesting things happening that we're definitely paying attention to, like. 
uh, New York City uh, offering or, or you know creating a a pass if you're vaccinated to go uh, into restaurants and and into in in person events and things like that. Um, which will probably, I would suspect, roll out in other cities around the world. And why is that important to us as a tour operator? Well, it's one thing to get people in through the border, but the other thing is we want them to be able to have a really great experience when they're there. So um, we have to pay attention to that and make sure that uh, you know our vaccinated guests are going to be able to go to all the different events. And and a lot of our trips are are related to dining in some way as well. And uh, and we want to make sure that we don't just get them there, but we that, that they have a really great experience. So we kind of have to look at all the different parts of what um, a city or a area's restrictions and regulations are and make sure we're, we're uh, paying attention to that. Is there anything that you've had to do as like a, a tour planner, like a, a trip's business itself to like protect yourself from any like liability around COVID? Like, have there been any changes to that side of the business or has it been, you know, you're following protocol, it's been like a a pretty safe kind of experience thus far? Well, obviously safety has had to be top concern. And I think among all the group travel tour operators that I know, um, you know, all of them, the industry has been really great about being uh, safe in general. Um, In our case, uh, we just erred on the side of caution throughout the whole planning process for bringing trips back and how we're going to do it. And um, part of that is in some, you know, we, we follow the the guidelines of the destination that we're going to, but we also have our own um, sort of guidelines where we just won't plan it. We won't, we won't have a departure go out if we feel like there's a, a risk to it. There's a lot of um, sort of backstops that we have to make sure that if anything goes wrong, uh, we're we're uh, we're able to take care of our our guests. Um, one is we we have a service essentially. It's a global service that uh, makes sure that any kind of medical problem or um, evacuation problem or or anything like that that might you know very rarely come up uh, is covered. And that's just a baked in part of any trip that you go on with us and. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, we've, we've had to step up our just filter for what feels, um, reasonable and safe, uh, knowing that the nature of what we do in some cases is taking place, taking people to places that are in some cases very remote and, uh, you know, some places that don't have a lot of infrastructure. Uh, so we're just constantly looking at how to make sure that it's, uh, it's safe and, and okay to do. Another element of it is um, the nature of our trips business, which is different than some others, is that we use uh, local operators, local guides uh, from these places, which which helps a ton because uh, if anything does go wrong, or even just navigating sort of the ins and outs of a of a of a far off place or a remote place, um, having that local knowledge is just so important and it makes our guests feel better and it makes a well first of all it makes a much more rich experience on a trip uh but it also it also has a safety component too because they know what to do if there's a problem i don't know i'm sure in in places like alabama maybe or like the south it's it's less likely you'll be sending a group of people um maybe in, in in those areas especially if they're not like doing so hot so it makes sense to kind of plan the trips accordingly um depending on What's happening there, which I'm sure will change very quickly over the next several months. Yeah, you know, uh, that's the only thing that I've, I can say I've learned for sure in the last uh, 18 months or so is that 
uh, whenever you think you know how the next few months are going to go, uh, something proves you wrong. So we're just we're learning how to be as flexible as we can with our plan plans. And there's some things you know that we're doing that a lot of other group travel companies are doing that um, that help. Like we have a very extremely flexible cancellation policy at this point um, because we just can't predict if a trip is actually going to be able to go or not go. Um, and we want we want our guests to stick with us. And what we found is that because the cancellation policy is flexible, the overwhelming majority of our guests have have stuck with it and will continue to rebook uh, if their if their trip got canceled for whatever reason, which is great. So people are anxious to go; they're willing to wait, and uh, and they want to go when the time is right. And, and we're just trying to be there for them. That's the the travel side of the business. That's your trip planning tour business. You mentioned though that media was kind of the all star um, piece of the Atlas Obscura business in the past year. Um, given the fact that trips just kind of had to be shut down for a while, but you mentioned that brands, you know, kind of came through and you had record a record year in terms of like ad revenue. It sounds like. Can you talk about what happened on the advertising side of the business? So my, I guess, assumption is that like all travel companies just stopped advertising at a certain point because there was there was no need to, you know, advertise uh, a bunch of travel when it just wasn't happening or wasn't allowed to happen. But I'm curious about what your kind of situation was with like the brand deals that you were able to sign at this point. Who was the... I guess, like leading advertiser category that was coming through and, and how are you working with them um, on the media side of things? Well, we probably saw a similar uh, trajectory throughout the year that that other digital media companies saw, which is at at first in, you know, March, April, May, first half of, of 2020, uh, pretty much everyone scaled back their marketing spend. Um, there were just not a lot of people out there, uh, not a lot of brands out there, Spending. Um, and then uh, as things became, you know, a little bit more open in the summer of 2020 and and uh, particularly for us, the idea of the road trip, being able to finally leave your house and uh, sure, you're not going to get on a plane probably, but you might go drive. Um, if you're in New York, you might go up the Hudson Valley. If you're in L.A., you might go out to Joshua Tree and anywhere else in between. Uh, so the, the idea of the road trip really became a big thing. So looking back, sort of unsurprisingly, the, the biggest advertisers, the biggest partners that we had uh, in 2020 were automotive. Um, and we also had uh, some interesting ones like, uh, you know, we have a, a big food category. So um, a couple a couple clients in the food world. Um, if you're like me, you spent a lot of 2020 uh, working on your on your cooking skills and trying to come up with new and interesting things to do in the kitchen. Uh and our gastro obscura uh, vertical, which is unique and our, our take on unique and wonderful food, um, really sort of uh, took off a bit where um, we were offering more and more ideas and inspiration around foods and the history and the, the culture behind foods uh, around the world. Um, so attracted attracted some uh, some food partners or uh, food related partners. Um and uh, yeah, so between between automotive, food, and a couple others, I think uh, we managed to pull off a, a pretty solid year. Nice. Um, and I know you mentioned that it was a, it was a record year. Do you have any like growth figures that you could share about like uh, year over year percentages or even just a hard revenue figure? Would love to hear 
if you if you're able to share that. Yeah, I can tell you just the growth. Um, we more than doubled our uh, our brand partnerships revenue uh, twenty twenty over twenty nineteen. Um, wow. And part of that is, uh, you know, just a unique, it was a unique time. And part of it is that we're really working hard to build our, our brand partnerships operation. Um, we have, we've added, uh, to our team at a time when a lot of companies were kind of scaling back, we, we were investing in hiring and, uh, in that particular area and, um, and really trying to build up our ability to do partnerships with brands, um, as part of our just overarching growth initiative. I remember one of the um, partnerships you did with, I think it was Nissan Rogue. Um, it was like a road trip style hybrid event almost. It was part of a cover a piece I covered on um, hybrid events and kind of like the future of returning to in-person um, experiences. And that one seemed like a really cool model. Um, can you like, I guess, walk through whether or not that was like a, a pretty standard brand deal that you were doing last year? And if that's kind of the... I guess what brand partners come to you looking for these kind of like very experiential based um, experiences, I guess, or activities uh, just, I guess, going back to that, like desire for explore exploration and wandering and stuff like that, um, that your brand is so like, you know, tapped into. Yes. The Nissan uh, partnership last year was really a wonderful one. Um, and they were incredible partners, uh, especially as they and us had to figure out as we were, what we what we initially created um, had to be adapted and adapted and adapted again as different regulations came up as as we learned more about about COVID. Um, but it ended up being a just a terrific uh, partnership. And to answer your question, yes, uh, more often than not, in fact, almost all the time when we are working with a brand, there is some experiential component to it. Because um, when we're talking about exploration, when we're talking about travel. Uh, you know, writing about it is important and and documenting it, but uh, we like to also bring people there to to touch and feel it a bit. Um, so I, I can tell you a little bit about that Nissan uh, program. It was a combination of trying to do what we could do in person while sharing it as widely as we could with the people who uh, were you know at home. And um, the goal was, have the elements of experiential that are possible, but also uh, build in a lot of amplification um, to the events that we were doing. So long story short, it was around the launch of the new Nissan Rogue. Um, the appeal for Nissan and for us was uh, the Rogue is about the Rogue spirit and Atlas Obscure is about getting off the beaten path and and exploring uh, the sort of hidden wonders of the world. So it's very much aligned from a brand standpoint. Uh, we with them came up with a uh, program, a series of really special uh, performance-based events in unique locations around the country. Um, so uh, they were each tied to one of the modes of the Nissan Rogue. So the eco mode of the uh, of the Nissan Rogue was in the forests of of Oregon. Uh, the sport mode was at a a big uh, racetrack out in uh, Southern Colorado um, and on and on like that. And uh, we brought in different talent and uh, performers and, and to the extent we could have uh, people there live, that, that, that's great. What we learned going, you know, as we went into it is more often than not, uh, it ended up being mostly a live stream and then a video uh, uh, event 
because the restrictions kept getting stricter and stricter and stricter. But uh, in some ways that worked out great because it, it allowed more and more people to see those performances and, and sort of be part of it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, at the end of the day, I think what we accomplished was um, letting people feel like, you know, the world is alive and there are these wonderful things going on, sharing the Nissan Rogue message, but also sort of bringing our mission to life of, of doing extraordinary things in extraordinary places. Um, and uh, it sort of all, all came together, uh, not easily, but at the end of the day, it, it was a successful program. Yeah. So I think that also kind of leads into the conversation around hybrid events um, in just the fact that there were a lot of strengths that came from virtual in that amplification that you mentioned and the ability to incorporate, you know, audiences who wouldn't be able to attend a a drive-in experience in Oregon, for example. I'm wondering how you're thinking about the integration of vir uh, virtual events in, you know, the coming year, maybe when there is this, I think a lot of sponsors have been hoping to get back into like in-person, um, getting those experiential kind of activations going again, but there are still like positives from virtual. How do you have those conversations around um, your events business and and what you anticipate like a hybrid model kind of looking like and, and working for both you and um, potential sponsors, I guess. Well, right now where we are in this moment, I think everyone feels like hybrid is the way to go. Uh, I, I don't think there's a big appetite right at this moment for virtual only uh, big events. Um, and I think uh, part of that's just a function of People have been online a lot and are ready to to do things in real life, and um, I'm sure you feel this way, and I know I feel this way. I can't can't wait for you know live music and all the things that you can do uh, in, in when it's safe. Um, so there's a lot of demand for that. We're working on how to do more and more of that. Uh, we're we're fortunate because we can do things in places that um, you know are kind of unusual and might might be a little bit safer, like. Uh, a big national park or something and uh, host host events like that. Um, and the, the, the hybrid part comes into play where I think everyone has realized that just the massive reach and appeal you can have where it's fine to host an event for, you know, a hundred people, a thousand people, even 10,000 people. But how great is it that you can reach millions around the world uh, with, with that same programming um, by offering a, you know, I don't know, live stream or video or whatever parts of it you, uh, you want to share that way. I mean, it's not, it's not a new, new idea, but I think it's just become, uh, more and more appealing to brands and to, to us as a content producer. And you also mentioned, I guess, towards the beginning that when the trips business, um, had to be temporarily shut down, you looked at ways to kind of do that exploration at home, um, that wander from home, um, play on like work from home kind of kind of business model. Um, what did that kind of look like? And is that something that you anticipate carrying on going forward, especially when, um, I don't know, you mentioned like the kind of exhaustion around being inside and looking at um, a screen. For me, it's like 10 hours a day uh, minimum. I guess if you count my phone, it's way more than that. But um, it, like, I guess like as you're kind of thinking about these businesses that you put into effect this past year, um, 
are you anticipating that some of these things will carry forward um, in 2022? Um, sorry, that's a two-part question. I guess to start with, what what is that business kind of, what does that look like? And then also, you know, what's the future of it? Well, in addition to our trips business, before the pandemic, we had our experiences business, which was uh, instead of getting on a plane and going somewhere halfway around the world, uh, just spending a couple hours uh, doing a fun activity or learning a new skill or um, uh, taking a tour of something uh, cool and hidden and unusual. And we had, you know, hundreds of these things um, uh, running. And we, we also had to stop, obviously, doing the in-person version of those. So when we looked at, okay, trips and experiences, both in person, not going to happen for a while. Um, we we looked at the types of programming that we could take from that and the instructors or the, the hosts and turn them into online versions. Um, so uh, short story is it, it went very well. We found that actually we could just host so many more people on the online versions of these things that there was a big appetite for them when people couldn't get out and do these activities on their own. Um, and we launched a new, a new product called uh, Courses that uh, it, it, it is more than just that kind of couple hours doing an activity. It's really digging into a subject. Um, and we have a bunch of those running. As, so far, we've had about 5,000 people uh, go through our courses that would be multi-session with an instructor. You might have homework, all that good stuff. Uh, and... Um, and people are just are, are just loving those. So uh, they're very, it's sort of like Atlas Obscura's uh, unique, quirky, offbeat take on what a masterclass might be, but they're live with the instructor. We have, for example, um, a couple coming up, like uh, a writing class about historical nonfiction. We have foraging and folklore uh, coming up in, in uh, just a, another couple weeks. And um there's there's always a, a bunch. The most popular one so far, uh, we did um, a uh, gastro obscura course with Michael Twitty, who's a culinary historian, and uh, it was about how uh, the history of African cuisine has influenced the way uh, Southern uh, cuisine has evolved in in the United States, and just fascinating. And had you know several hundred people attending that course. So so those things like that have just really taken off over the last year. Um, whether they'll continue, I think the courses for sure. And I think some of our online experiences, you know, people are probably a little bit excited to get back to doing the, the in-person parts of that. Um, but there's some of them that you just can't do uh, in person. And if you want to travel around the world virtually and go learn about the Scottish Highlands and 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 a bagpiping demonstration in an afternoon while in the, in the morning you uh, did some wine tasting in Lisbon. Like you can do that online where you couldn't do that in real life. So we think there's going to be um, still a demand for, for all of these online experiences, but, but it's going to be different as people get back to, uh, to in-person experiential things. And these just to confirm are, are paid courses, right? You're getting some sort of consumer revenue from, um, these different experiences and courses. Yes, yeah, we do. Uh, we do sell tickets to all of these. Uh, so if it, if you're taking a course, you're paying uh, a per person tuition essentially for the you know several sessions, and uh, the and then the 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 one time online experiences are less expensive, but uh, they're just a one time ticket. I know you've only had um, 
like a year of, of doing these virtual experiences, but like compared to the in-person experiences business that you had, was it like a higher volume of participants in the virtual or did you find that, you know, they were even with each other? I'm just curious about like the actual participation um, of these, of these two variation, I guess, like versions of the business. Yeah. I, I, in terms of business model, the uh, the online versions are much more appealing in some ways because you can have larger groups. Um, it, we, we purposefully kept the in-person experiences to a smaller number because you can only manage so many, so many people at certain things like that. But if it's online, uh, it's almost, it's in many cases unlimited um, or a, a larger number. Um, the overhead costs are less and then uh, just the economics of um, of you know how the we, we basically split. There's a split between us and the person hosting the 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 course or the experience, and the economics just work out better for everybody uh, when it's online. Now that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a demand and that there's a lot of appeal to doing the in-person versions, but but we did find that um, just as a as a business model, the unit economics of online are certainly more appealing. Yeah, I think that is pretty much the case for any kind of virtual iteration of a, a live business. The margins are just so much better for virtual um, in most cases, I would say. I, it might change if you're like building an entire like virtual kind of venue. But uh, yeah, I think generally speaking, that that is a very strong upshot of um virtual events that I've at least come to find out. Um, I wanted to go back to advertising and like brand partnerships um, quickly because you mentioned um, automotive and um, food became two like strong categories for you. Um, I'm curious when like the travel dollars started coming back into the fold, if they've come back at the same kind of volume or um, – I guess, dollar sign that they were previously at, or if you're still kind of like in the process of rebuilding that, that side of the the partnerships business. Yeah. Well, one thing that's interesting is you know, it's often assumed that, that our endemic advertiser is a travel company, but because we touch on so many things and it's really exploration as opposed to travel and exploration can mean exploration into food, exploration into places, exploration into people and history and culture. Um, we, we cover sort of a wide swath. So it, we, we're not we weren't necessarily completely uh, sort of tied to um, to travel uh, partners. But uh, one of our favorite categories and the category and the and the, the groups that we really have a lot of love for because we're all um, sort of in the same in the same boat uh, are DMOs. So all the different destination marketing organizations, the tourism bureaus, the um, the the organizations that help uh, destinations succeed through tourism, um, we definitely saw those have to sort of hunker down over the last year, and it's very exciting to see them coming back now, um, both domestically and 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 around the world. Um, so we're doing a lot of uh, work with um, DMOs ranging from cities to whole countries and regions, and. Uh, and, and that's been that's been really exciting to have come back. Those are just to confirm that'd be like maybe travel um, 
I don't know. I think I've seen like travel Michigan before or, you know, travel. Exactly. Basically any, any, uh, every state basically has their own, uh, travel tourism board or bureau. And then, um, and then larger cities have their own as well. How are they coming back into the fold? Is it at like the same kind of spend that they were doing in 2019 or has it been kind of slower? I also imagine it depends based on where they are. Um, obviously, each state has its own kind of, you know, approach to to COVID and, and has its own numbers when it comes to, um, you know, vaccination rates and, and right. you know, spread and things like that. Like, I guess, how has that trend been? You're absolutely right that it just depends where they are. Uh, in some cases, we've seen an increase in spend. Uh, in some cases, uh, they've had to hold back a bit. Overall, I would say, um, what they're realizing is what we're seeing, where we have this community of millions of travelers who are, and explorers who are out ready to go, ready to go on that road trip or go on that trip uh, overseas if, in some cases. And um, and these DMOs w- want to be there, uh, want to be the ones that are sort of thought of first. I think everyone's feeling, I feel like I've said the phrase pent up demand like 10,000 times in the last couple months. Uh, it, it's it's definitely real, and I think all all uh, all DMOs and and us are are uh, wanting to help sort of be there when people are making those travel plans. So uh, so in some cases we're seeing a, a big increase from from prior spend. And I'm curious, like, and granted, I think this could be with any category, especially if you're considering any um, in-person activations with a brand partner. But I'm curious about, like, the conversations that you're having when you are working on um, a campaign or, like, a a brand deal. Um, Are you, I guess, allowing for more flexibility yourself when it comes to brand partners? I know you mentioned flexibility is a big big element in the trips business. But I'm curious, like, are there – flexibility components that you've needed to add in to kind of, you know, convince some brand partners to um, spend with you now, considering, you know, at least for a while, there was a lot of changes in um, the, I guess, regulations around COVID and um, just like the numbers were changing so, so varied like last year for a while between like September to maybe November, there was kind of like a, a dip. So it was a little bit less, you know, scary to maybe go out and about, but then it, it got bad again after the holidays. I'm, I'm just curious, like, do you need to give some flexibility to your brand partners, especially maybe DMOs around the campaign they're doing and even maybe like the lead times ahead of a campaign running? Because um, it almost seems like it, it would need to be more immediate in a way to capitalize on a, a good period. Well, flexibility is definitely important. And then, um, just the nature of the partnerships, I think, I, I wouldn't. I don't know if they've changed, but they're evolving. So we can do all the standard sort of media buys that 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 brands or DMOs or others might want. But what what we're excited about, and I think what they're excited about, are more uh, sort of creative, innovative, deeper partnerships where we're doing something together. Uh, like the Nissan example, like some of the other things that we've done over the last year or two. And um, and just by nature, those are very flexible. There's a lot of different things we can do. In terms of being flexible about um, you know, how to get some of these DMOs in when they're still cautious about spending, we have extended a, you know, uh, we've tried to make the terms as, as favorable as possible to get DMOs involved. And 
we realize that we are all in this together uh, and uh, our success depends on their success. So, so we've, we've offered, um, you know, special arrangements for DMOs specifically to, to participate with Atlas Obscura. Um, in terms of other brands, it's more about, okay, uh, we're, we're both trying to uh, really appeal to people who are sort of getting back on the road, starting to think about getting out there again. What can we do together to, to make that experience even uh, more exciting and, and fun? We've touched on this a bit. Like it, it's hard to predict any kinds of like potential changes or um, you know where these variate uh, variants of the virus are going. But I guess are you sensing any possible hesitation returning from some of your brand partners, especially in the DMO category or any other types of brand partners? Um, like on the, uh, I guess on these like Delta variants, and I think now there's like a Gamma variant. Um, I guess, are you sensing any types of like revert back into, you know, what 2020 kind of looked like? Ah, no more variants. We need to uh, get away from all these variants. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, it, no, uh, I think there is an incredible level of optimism right now uh, among everyone involved in sort of travel coming back. And, and uh, of course, we're all watching carefully to see, um, you know, what what these new variants and things do. Um, and, you know, obviously safety is top concern for, for everyone. And another big concern is just the health um, and sustainability of, of the destinations themselves. And uh, on one hand, really needing tourism revenue to come back. On the other hand, doing it in a safe and a responsible way. So um, all of those things are factors. But the overarching sentiment that I'm seeing anyway is just incredible optimism about the next, uh, the next few months and, and certainly next year especially. Cool. And you also mentioned we we didn't talk about like audience much more outside of the kind of consumer revenue side of the business, but you did mention that there was a big increase in traffic to the site and um and your coverage in general. Can you talk about some of the changes um to the editorial output that might have happened over the past uh year and a half now, I guess? And also, you know, what kind of changes in audience behavior you might have um caught on to? Interestingly, we didn't change our output from a sort of quantity standpoint very much. Um, what we found is just more people uh, through all different sources, whether it's email, social, search, however they're finding us, um, more people were online uh, and interested in what we're doing. And uh, on our end, while we didn't change the the quantity of the output, we did, like I said, change the um, just sort of the... Uh, the packaging of it. So we were thinking about what would that uh, person sitting at home with serious wanderlust want to read about right now? And how can we, how can we satisfy that curiosity and share with them the things that, that we know we're interested in and our editorial team's interested in. So, um, so that's how, that's how it worked. There was no uh, real marketing magic to it. It, um, and we didn't change anything in sort of how user acquisition works. Um, uh, just completely organically, we ended up having a 25% in some cases inc increase year over year in monthly uh, uniques. And, and, um, and that was great. But, but even more important, I think, was just the level of engagement we were seeing um, where people were spending more time with us, coming back more frequently. Um, we have this, I mean, we have this incredible community of millions of people who um, 
who sort of associate themselves with Atlas Obscura and think of themselves as an Atlas Obscura person. And, and we just try to do more and more to communicate with them and to, um, to give them ways to fly their Atlas flag and, and, and do things with us. And uh, some, some of the communications we get with them are just amazing. Hearing from people who say, you know, uh, in a dark year, Atlas Obscura really helped them, uh, you know, remember that there's some really incredible places out there and things going on and that the world will come back one day. And, um, and it's just, it's inspiring to see that, that we were able to, to be a real positive uh, place for people to visit while they uh, were going through a pretty tough year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Going from there, uh, aside from bringing back the trips business to, you know, hopefully full steam um, ahead, and then also bringing um, some of the newer businesses that you created during the pandemic, the like, you know, virtual um, experiences and, and the courses, um, I guess in addition to seeing how those work in 2022, are there any other types of like um, businesses that you're hoping to launch or uh, any new like um, revenue opportunities that you're you're experimenting in right now to kind of maybe capitalize on this, you know, bigger audience that you've been able to cultivate in the past, you know, year now? We're looking at everything right now uh, through the lens of what does our each individual community member really want from us? And uh, we've learned that there's a lot of things that we can do. Uh, we can't do it all at once. So we're just trying to figure out what uh, which things to do first. So, um, you know, we, we, we launched our uh, first real ongoing podcast with Stitcher uh, not too long ago and already had over three and a half million downloads. It's been extremely successful. Um, so looking at, at more of, of that kind of thing and, and some of our, um, we have a division called AO Entertainment that looks at uh, possible TV uh, options and, and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So so that that's always happening sort of on the, in the background. In terms of our, our core business, uh, the main new thing I think is really, um, organizing our community. We have this incredible community and, and organizing them around the idea of being a member of Atlas Obscura. So without uh, many ways to participate in the past with what we do other than on their own, we want to we get this community together, be uh, more engaged with us. And we think membership's the way to do that. Um, so uh, not so much like a subscription business, more like joining a really fun uh, club of like-minded people um, and giving them, you know, member-only experiences, member-only trips, mem- uh, more access. Basically, saying to them, if you love Atlas Obscura, and we know you do. If you want to do more with us, if you want to have more access, join us as a member, and uh, and and that will give us the ability to sort of cater to you uh, more specifically. So, so that's sort of in the works, and um, we have a sort of very basic membership program right now, um, but. Uh, just a little preview uh, in the next couple months we'll be coming out with um, just a much more robust way for our community to to activate around membership 
It makes a lot of sense to have the like membership model, I think, with this brand over subscriptions. Memberships just tend to have a little bit more of like a, I don't say glamorous, but almost like more like exclusive kind of feel to them. So I think that makes sense in, in the context of Atlas Obscura for sure. That brings us to the end of the episode. Um, thank you so much for joining us and for talking about Atlas Obscura. It is one of my favorite brands to read. I think it's just such a, a fun a fun site on the internet. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Kaylee. And we love Digiday too and uh, hope to catch you all out on a on a Atlas Obscura trip someday. So thanks for having us. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode. <laughs>